turning in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 1, and as you were doing so, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 1, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we are going to, by God's grace, confine ourselves this morning to just the first three verses, and then as well, I want us to look at verse 14 briefly as well. So let me read in your hearing, beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1. This is the word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. You may be seated. Beloved, I'm sure you know this, but Christmas is about anticipation, about arrival, really. And this morning, we are at the end of the third trimester, as it were. You may recall, Christians before us spoke of Advent. And you will remember that Advent comes from a Latin word meaning coming or arrival. So Christmas is the Advent or the coming or the arrival of what? Or of who? And as we've seen over the last couple of Sundays, we can answer that question a couple of ways. We can say that Advent is the coming of the prophet, he who would proclaim the fullness of God's gospel to us. We can also say that Advent is the coming of the priest, he who would intercede on our behalf and offer a sacrifice that would once for all take away our sin. Well, beloved, this morning, and most scandalously, we will see that Christmas is also the advent or the coming of God Himself. You see, this prophet and priest is none other than God in human flesh. Which means that the task that is before us this morning is a daunting one. After all, we are considering the reality of God in human flesh. How can we even begin to scratch the surface? Well, perhaps it would be helpful to go at it this way. I'm going to share with you this morning five words. Five words that help us capture the heart of Christmas. And let me say on the front end, these five words, they ought to provoke within us both worship and wonder. That is to be the aim, not simply to uh, tickle our fancy or to scratch an intellectual itch that we might have, but rather in reflecting upon Christ, our hearts ought to be stirred to further adore Christ. And so my prayer for my own heart and for all of yours is that the Spirit of God would move in us this morning and create fresh joy and love and wonder and hope and worship as we consider God becoming 
a man. Like I said, let me share with you those five words. The first word is eternal. The wonder of Christmas is this. He who was born on Christmas is eternal. Notice, for example, how John opens his gospel. We read, in the beginning was the word. Does that sound familiar at all? Especially those first few words, in the beginning. What John is doing here with those first few words is he's echoing the first few words from Genesis, isn't he? Remember how Scripture opens with that profound statement? In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, and then we read, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, what John is doing here is he's sort of, he's picking up on that idea and he's saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. John's point? This one, again, he identifies him as the Word. This one was in the beginning with God. Think about that for a moment. Before creation, before Genesis 1-1, before there was anything, what was there? Only God. And so what John again is doing here by mirroring Genesis 1-1 in John 1-1 is saying this, this Word, or as we know Him, Christ, the, the Son of God, He existed before creation. He was in the beginning, before creation, with God, as the end of John 1.1 says. Or as verse 2 announces, He was in the beginning with God. Which means, the one who came to us on Christmas morning, catch this, His life didn't actually begin on Christmas morning. Christ's life did not begin in a manger in Bethlehem or even in the womb of His virgin mother. The fact is, His life didn't begin at all. Why? Well, because the Word is one who has an eternal existence. Sure, Christmas marks the beginning of His time on earth as God in human flesh. But Christmas does not mark His beginning because He has no beginning. That brings us to our second great Christmas word this morning, and that is person. The one who was born on Christmas is a person. That will become more profound in a moment. We know this because of John 1.14 which we'll look at in a moment, but for now, let's confine ourselves to this reality. The Word of John 1.1 is the same Word who became flesh in John 1.14. John leaves no doubt the Word of John 1.1 is the Son of God. We all get that. But we still scratch our heads. Why does John refer to the Son of God as the Word. Admittedly, that is a strange way of putting things. Well, maybe think of it like this. Words are how we communicate, aren't they? 
The relationships that we all have with one another, they are initiated and established and sustained by you and I actually speaking words to each other. For example, I know my wife, and my wife knows me, and we know each other not simply by staring at pictures of one another, but we talk, we communicate, we use our words to reveal what is in our hearts and what is in our minds. Well, that's really the flavor here. John refers to the Son of God as the Word. Don't miss this. Because He is the revelation of who God is. In other words, if you want to know God the Father, then you look to God the Son. Why? Because the Son of God, again, is the Word. He's the communication. He's the revelation of the Father. If you want to know me, then you'll have a conversation with me. If you want to know God, then you must look at and listen to His Son. But, and please hear this, the Word is not the Father. It's true, the Word shares the essence of God. That's true. But the Son is not the Father. That's the point. That's why John goes out of his way here to differentiate the Word from the Father. Right? Consider again the middle of verse 1. We're told that the Word was with God. Or verse 2, that the Word was in the beginning with God. You see, yes, the Word is with God. And yes, the Christ is eternal. And as we'll see in a moment, the Son of God is God. That is all true. But there is nonetheless a distinction in person that Scripture forces us to make. That is to say, the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Son is God, but within the one being that is God, there exists three distinct persons. And what John wants us to see this morning is this. Christmas is the celebration of the unique Son of God coming to us. And not just coming to us, but coming to us. For us. This leads us to the third word I want to draw your attention to. The wonder of Christmas is this He who was born on Christmas is God. He is God. As I just said, and as John's Gospel compels us to confess, the Word is not the Father, that's true, but the Word is God. Verse 1 again is clear. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, end of verse 1, the Word was God. The Word, and remember, according to John 1.14, the Word is the incarnate Son of God. This Word is God. Verse 3 only ups the ante. John testifies that all things were made through Him, that is, through the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. You might think of it like this. Scripture knows of only two types of beings. 
creator and creation. Everything that exists fits into one of those two categories. There is creator or God, and there is creation or creatures. All that exists fits into one of those two columns. Here's the question. Where does the Son of God fit? Is He creator or creation? And John answers both clearly and concisely. Verse 1 again. In the beginning, before any creation, was the Word. He was there. The Word was, middle of verse 1, with God. And end of verse 1, the Word was God, and as God, the Word is Creator, as verse 3 testifies. All of creation, anything that was created, anything that has come into being was created through the Son of God. Meaning, the Son of God is Creator, not creation. That is admittedly perhaps a long way to say this, beloved. Long before Christmas morning, long before Genesis chapter 1, if we could even speak of time before Genesis chapter 1, there exists the unique Son of God. He is there with God the Father. And though He is not God the Father, He is God. And that is because He is the eternal Son of God. The second person of the Holy Trinity. And He shares in the very being of God. Just as Father and Holy Spirit do. It's that reality that the Son of God is eternal God that makes the fourth of our Christmas words so remarkable. You ready? It's the word enfleshed. He who was born on Christmas morning is God in human flesh. And perhaps it is the familiarity of such a miracle of condescension that has robbed us of its magnificence and brilliance and profundity. Consider, Christmas is not the celebration of merely another prophet or even of some angelic being visiting humanity. Christmas is actually the celebration of God Himself becoming one of us. Verse 14 records the wonder of it all. We are told that the Word became flesh. And He dwelt among us. And as John says, we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For all that is said in verse 14, the accent belongs on that one phrase, became flesh. The Word of verse 1, who was in the beginning with God the Creator of verse 3, through whom all things were made. 
The very Son of God of verse 2 who was God and for all of eternity enjoyed communion with His Father and with the Holy Spirit. He did something. He acted. He actually became flesh. Now let's be clear. He who was God in verse 1 didn't cease to be God now in verse 14. The Son of God remains the eternal, self-existent Creator God. How could God cease to be God? That is an impossibility. The incarnation doesn't make Christ less than He was. Christmas is not about God being reduced or subtracted. Fair enough, you say. Then what is verse 14 talking about? Well, marvel at this, Christian. The Son of God has assumed our human nature. And by that, we don't simply mean that He just sort of all of a sudden acquired a physical body as as if Christ on Christmas became an avatar. When John confesses that the Word became flesh, he means not just a human body, but mind and will and affections. So that from Christmas on, the eternal Son of God is now joined to human nature. This side of Christmas, the Son of God is truly human. In fact, He is the truest human to have ever lived. And all of this will at the same time remaining the eternal Son of God. So that please hear this, and this is the magnificence and the mystery of Christmas. In the one person of Christ, There now and forever exists two natures. One divine and one human. And of course, this causes our heads to spin and our hearts to sing. Rest assured, it is supposed to. The incarnation of the Son of God is a mystery, beloved, beyond our finite and fallen capacities. We have to understand that that what we are talking about on Christmas, what John is explaining to us here in his Gospel, there is nothing like it in all of existence. Just contemplate for a moment something of the wonder of it all. Contemplate that in the miracle and mystery of the Incarnation, the infinite becomes finite. Think of it if you can. The glorious and eternal Word. He becomes bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. The Prince of Glory becomes a babe in a manger. The eternal Son of God became a Son of Man. Brothers and sisters, the Creator was birthed 
out of the creature. Consider he who made the world and was above the world and rules over the world. He actually came into the world. The Almighty became a helpless child. The immortal Son was clothed in rags of mortality. So much so that the Eternal One became a Son of Time. Friends, God who made man after His image was Himself made in man's image. He whose dwelling is in the heavens was let down into the hell of this earth. And He who thunders in the heavens cried in the manger. I would invite you afresh to marvel at what has taken place. Marvel at the fact that the invisible God was actually made visible. That God took on our flesh and that God dwelt in it with His divine fullness so that our flesh would become something more glorious than even the angels. And through Dwelling in that flesh, God opened up His Gospel treasures to us by becoming not just our Savior, but our Redeemer, our Kinsman, our Elder Brother, and our Shepherd. Church, we can go so far as to say the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become sons of God. You will remember, I said I was going to share with you five words. Five words that I trust help us capture something of the miracle and mystery of Christmas. Those words are eternal, person, God, and enfleshed. Here is now the fifth and final word. He who was born on Christmas is Savior. He is Savior. Beloved, let me ask it this way. Why did God become man? Why did the Son of God come to us by becoming one of us? And the answer is that God came to save us. God came as one of us to give us eternal life. The risk of being crass, God Himself looked down upon the mess that is humanity and He rolled up His sleeves as it were to come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is also why the Christmas story doesn't end in Bethlehem with Christ in a manger, but in Jerusalem with Christ on a cross. Even that, though, is not the full story, is it? Because after Christ died on the cross, He was then stuffed in a tomb. But three days later, Christ emerged from that grave victorious. He walked out of the tomb triumphing once for all over death and hell 
and Satan and sin. My point is, Christmas is a part of the story. It is not the whole story. The whole story is one that moves from womb, or rather from tomb, or womb to tomb, we should say. From swaddling cloths to suffering cross. It's one that moves from the cradle to the cross. The fact is that, that Christ, He became one of us. He was then born as us. He lived for us. He died in our place and was raised for us. You see, what makes Christmas such good news is not just that God came to us, though that is glorious, but that God actually came to us to save us. To save us from our sin. To save us from the judgment that we rightly deserve. Really, in a lot of ways, God came to save us from ourselves. Now it's true, you won't find any of this mentioned here at the beginning of John's Gospel. That's because here at the front end, the focus of John's Gospel is not so much on the why, but the who. John wants us to know who the Savior is. But at the end of John's Gospel, he does reveal the why. Here's what we read in John chapter 20, verse 31. We're told that these are written, these there speaking of the, the miracles and the life of Christ, but these are written so that you, that is the reader, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You hear that? The purpose of John's whole gospel is twofold. On the one hand, John wants us, the reader, to be convinced. Convinced that Jesus is both the promised Messiah of the Old Testament as well as the unique Son of God. It's important, church, to know who Christ is. But that's not all John is aiming at. He also wants us to know what Christ has done. Why, you ask? Because the Gospel, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, is the greatest news that you and I can or will ever hear. Be assured of this by receiving Christ by relying on Christ and by resting in Christ, we have eternal life. That's why John's Gospel exists. He wants us to know who Christ is and to know that all our sins are forgiven when we place our faith in this same Jesus Christ. And really, that's what Christmas is all about. Advent is not, I repeat not, the celebration of just another prophet in a long line of prophets. Someone who will bark out orders to us and tell us that we need to behave. Neither is Advent about just some other priest unveiling yet another spiritual treadmill for us to hop on. 
all in an effort to help burn off some of those sin calories. Nor is Advent even the celebration of just yet another king. He who demands our allegiance as he puts his boot on our necks. The fact is that Advent is about the coming of God Himself. And God has come to save us from our sins. Again, He has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And by saving us from our sins, He gives us His very own righteousness. He grants us eternal life. He makes us His sons and daughters. And He promises us a new world, a new heaven, a new earth. He promises us resurrection glory. These are the promises of Christmas. And these are the promises that God Himself keeps on our behalf. Join with me in prayer this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank You for the wonder, the miracle of Christmas. We pray this morning that You would cause these truths to penetrate into our hearts. That You would fill us with joy. And that You would fill us with hope. And that You would fill us with love. That we would rejoice this Christmas season. And that we would rejoice in our Savior who has come to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. We thank You for this, Father. And pray that Your Spirit would cause these truths to bear fruit in each of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.